so, you know, you guys know, uh, I've been working on myself, uh, you know, getting back into working out, you know, uh, trying to, you know, be more mindful anyway, expanding my horizons in a lot of ways. Naturally, you know, I'm looking for perspectives. Maybe I haven't gotten in the past and, um, we're better than Esquire magazine. I'm now a subscriber. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I say I should say we're a su- w- subscriber since obviously you know I put that on the show account. But um, yeah, well, and obviously that expense. That's like our patrons are subscribers too because now they're getting to hear us read Esquire magazine articles. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, this is this, what we promised when we you know rolled out the Patreon is that we'd use the money for yeah. content. That's yeah. Like, that's what we mean by collective work here, you know, <laughs> collective yeah. deeds. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I've, you know, I've explored a lot of avenues and, you know, sometimes it just doesn't pan out, you know, like when you get outside of your media, like cultural bubble, like, you know, maybe you don't really find anything of interest. But in this case, like this is something I, this Esquire um, article I want to share with you guys today is something that really, you know, hits home for me. Um this is by uh, Christopher Solomon, who is a Seattle area uh, journalist. Um, oh, good. Good to see a hometown kid succeed. So it's called Family Membership. Um, it, it opens with uh, a sort of narrative first person description of him and uh, a figure named Tan uh, going to Costco together. So, you know, I'll skip this sort of uh, narrative of that. And it says here, uh, here in progressive Seattle, other shoppers see us, two 50-something men pushing a big red shopping cart and kibitzing over olive oil and packs of ham gruyere pastries like an old couple at Zabar's, and perhaps they assume we're married. But Tan and I are something rarer than that. He goes on to describe that, you know, he and Tan, who's also a journalist, a food writer, you know, met in their 20s uh, when they were young journalists in Seattle, and they've just been hanging out ever since. And he, you know, goes on to describe sort of what that means. Uh, he says here, other people are like a sweater that is too small. The closeness that warms also makes it hard to breathe. After 20 years with Tan, though, things are easy, uncomplicated. <laughs> Uh, I just, I'm going to skip ahead here, you know, before I sort of get, you know, share, want to share with you like what this, you know, means to me and sort of the, what I've gotten out of this is I just want to skip to another um, uh, riveting description of them grocery shopping together. Once prowling grocery outlet, Tan found $50 bottles of Frog's Leap Chardonnay mispriced at $4.99. He cleaned out the store, returning home with a full case, and we hooted and danced around the living room. Like the boy in Where the Wild Things Are. They had a rumpus. <laughs> in the shivering vegetable room. Oh, th- this is back. So that was a uh, that was a flight of uh, reverie, you know, a mm-hmm. sort of Proustian remembrance of uh, times past. And but really, he's in the vegetable room at Costco. Again, this is like thir- Costco trip number three of the article. In the shivery <laughs> vegetable room, I reach for a large bag of arugula and I'm transported back to that night. Us tarting up Trader Joe's frozen pizzas with arugula and then drinking ourselves silly on ill-gotten wine as we watched 
I mean, I don't know what's ill-gotten about like getting a good deal, but whatever. That's the only <laughs> thing in this article that I disagree with. <laughs> he doesn't have freak thought. Uh, yeah, ill-gotten wine is we watched Sex in the City reruns and argued over which character we would most want to date. And we both dated a lot. <laughs> I mean, citation needed on that last bit. But <laughs> our, our shared bachelorhood has outlasted any relationship with a woman for either of us. It has become its own defining relationship for both of us. Uh, you know, and, you know, I just find this kind of, you know, obviously, like, first of all, I think a thing to appreciate about Esquire and possibly other magazines like it is like, I, it's nice to get sort of the musings and sort of slice of life of a journalist of like someone who just writes about stuff for a living and like know what's going on in their life. I, mm -hmm. I find that important. Um, and I, but you know, more specifically, like, uh, you know, I really feel this as a guy, you know, I'm they're in their fifties, but they've been together since their twenties. And like, you know, here I am in my late thirties and, you know, uh, trying to get my shit together. And, I also am, you know, like these guys, highly eligible, uh, you know, but also uh, single. Mm -hmm. And I have For reasons lots of, not your own. Yeah. And, and I've always thought, you know, I have lots of um, uh, healthy friendships, including, you know, lots of healthy, good, strong and long and, and old uh, male friendships that go back a long time. But I, I'm realizing that you know, this, what has, this has opened up for me is that all those, uh, friendships are with people who are married, you know, who are like wifed up, uh, husband up, you know, locked down and have this different life. And like, that leaves me without a dude to go shopping with. <laughs> who are you going to share a Costco membership with Greg? Yeah. My dad, actually. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, this is fascinating. I mean, one, I, I love the setup of the story because he does, I, I mean, it has to be consciously set it up like when Harry met Sally, like me yeah. and Tan. Literally, that's what I was thinking. I just rewatched that movie like last week, too. I'm like, damn. Because, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is at the end of the day, it's like, honestly, you and Tan, I mean, I get that you're eligible bachelors and that's in that. Uh, women are just knocking down your door because you're cool journalists. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but just live together. It's fine. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's okay. Yeah, you and Tan seem to have a great time. I like, know, like, you basically are married for all important, all intents and purposes, except for, like, one one part of it. Like, that's fine. Let's yeah, in some ways, the whole thing is kind of an exercise in, like, no homo. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, literally, that's what it is. It's like, like one long no homo. <laughs> it's like him working out. Like, it, yeah. I mean, if he was, if he was getting to that point in the article, it's like because they did, they were roommates for a long time. But you know, then they grew out of that. Like, no, we're still single best friends. <laughs> I who like hang out all the time that, though, and either. speak every together. night. They, yeah. they call yeah. each other and talk on the we, phone we every talk night on the phone. Um, and. But you know, we without live gaming, together mind anymore. you, that's the only acceptable male way to talk to your <laughs> yeah. friends late or, at night is plotting. on Discord or, or podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, they couldn't live together anymore, presumably because of all the dating they were doing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all the very real dates they went on. Yeah, right, and right. you know, I mean, that's the two. There's two like stories that get repeated in this: is like all the conquests um, and all the shopping trips together. You know, <laughs> conquests separately and shopping trips uh, jointly. Um, and uh yeah it's like if he was working through like you know what 
it this is uh it's a new world like we should just live together as housing prices go up you know like uh whatever we we should you know just uh sure we'll have separate bedrooms but hey so do healthy mar- married couples hey, um yeah. but instead it's like no i know you think we're gay when we're walking around costco and that's fine <laughs> we're that's fine that's fine but i am publishing in esquire that we are not yeah <laughs> Well, the level of paranoia too to be like somebody saw me at Costco with another man, they think I'm gay now. <laughs> but but the other part of it is uh basically from the author's perspective, this is also just an entire article of him being like, I've only met one person in my entire life who could tolerate me for more than like a month at a time. Yeah. And it's just a love letter to this person. Yeah. Which in its own way is that's sweet. nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. very no. sweet. Look, they do seem like really good friends. Um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh but yeah, you know, I mean, you heard what he wrote about like other people being a sweater that's choking you to death. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe speaks to the lack of success uh, and making new friends. <laughs> well, the, the other part too is I love Esquire basically being like this guy coming in with a story and then being like, "Stop the presses, adult male finds friend. <laughs> we gotta publish this." <laughs> yeah, it's uh, these guys are just like the Sopranos for real. No way, you like Yola Tango too? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, you know what? I uh, hope for nothing but the best for Tan and Christopher Solomon. And you know what, Munya? I hope nothing but the best for our friend Greg. Uh, he's found adult male friendship through potting, but, <laughs> you know. It's beautiful. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that we can do. We need our own Costco membership card, honestly, because I I I heard I've learned that there's a Costco in New York, and I'm like, all right, I need that, but I ain't gonna, you know, we're, hey, the bill. We're flush with cash, dude. We'll get that Costco corporate oh, membership. When dude. you when you joined this podcast, you were freshly single and uh, lived in the same city I did, and then you immediately immediately went off to New York and got Im- instantly wifed up. <laughs> so you're no it's good to be on this front, city, okay? Greg. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yet our 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 friendship just grew stronger. So you know, <laughs> indeed. But I need. I'm missing beautiful. that. I'm missing that. Uh, yeah, that, like two single dudes who rock and J- J- just rocking, rocking at the Costco together every time, and you know. But also paying attention to the, you know the eye contact we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Mechanical Freak, where we're all adult friends here. Um, (laughs) We are on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. And it is a fine day today where we are on the land boat. Uh, I'm here with Brian and Greg. Boys, how you doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Me and Greg are actually in person. We are sitting approximately one foot away from each other. I can feel the heat off of Greg's face because our mics are pointing opposite, but we are face to face. Our mics are docking. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it's great to be in person again, Greg. Uh, I got to say, as soon as this COVID test I just had comes back, uh, we'll know whether this was a good idea or not. 
<laughs> oh yeah let me just check my emails from work about uh exposures uh let's see yeah uh, greg, greg just said by the way brian like you know i this is on video feed so i can see both of you mm-hmm. and you know separately through the we, power of technology no, no we, yeah, we have mean, actually only one camera because we're so close together it's perfectly <laughs> framed <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a dudes rock session with like yeah. two dudes in one frame yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just asking himself is that a picture of a vase or is it two guys potting it's an optical illusion yeah it's a Rorschach test right it it will say a lot about me (laughs) the way I answer um but you know just to tell you Brian um Greg has told me privately I will now tell you publicly um he says that that's chicken pox on his arm. Okay, oh, so okay, good, good. there's nothing. There's nothing to worry about. Oh, that's good because he's he's slowly rubbing it against my cheek. So I'm, I'm good to hear that it's just chicken pox. So yeah. <laughs> oh well, it's been an exciting uh, uh, week here in Seattle, uh, Munya. It sounded like maybe you were blissfully off of uh, Seattle Twitter. Maybe enjoying oh, yeah. Detroit Twitter after you. Being- I, I was I was on my Detroit grind, bro. I went into <laughs> I, it was it was crazy, dude. Like I met I met this like um actually a guy who um uh, my dad and also um you know Charles Mudede, friend of the show um you know met back in uh, Detroit. He's um, a Zimbabwean. Uh, his mm-hmm. name's Chido, and he um you know lives in Detroit. And this guy is like uh, just an amazing, like mad scientist type guy. Like he, he like walk <laughs> in, he he like had like this like he had all of these like interesting like handmade like gadgets in his in his house. Like he like made this like imbira like, uh, yeah, like you yeah. know mm-hmm. is like you know like the instrument that he played piano he made like it like actually like kind of code to like different like uh you know how like when you text like with key nine right like mm-hmm. back in the day with like the nine numbers basically made like a text machine out of an Embira that like hooks up to your computer and like so you can like see <laughs> had all these crazy cool gadgets like it had like a whole garden in his backyard and he like gave us leaves he was like you gotta taste this and we tasted it and it tasted like chocolate like dark chocolate or something man I was like yo what like where <laughs> am, where even am I right now this is nuts Detroit is different <laughs> imagine what you could do when you're not gaming all day you know <laughs> I know man like <laughs> Imagine like uh, being forced into like an extended layover in a place you didn't even want to be because of like labor disputes and whatever other airline fuck ups and it being just an awesome time because you're Munya. (laughs) <laughs> just like <Real> story <laughs> right just like this is why everything like uh, lemons to lemonade you're you're the lemonade I, I man mean, like yeah. i do i, I want to splash like some water on that because the process to actually be able to stay in detroit was crazy because you know they first like just we, this was supposed to be just memphis to new york right a two and a half hour flight right and you're going like diagonal let's say 45 degrees to get from like memphis to detroit you got to go like 90 degrees straight up right yeah, yeah. So we're like descending and it's been like two hours or so. So we're like, you know, or like an hour and a half. Right. So we're like, oh, we're getting in early. Right. Like as we're descending, the pilot's like, all right, in um, 10 minutes, we're about to touch down in Detroit. And then you kind of hear like ambient panic, like on the plane. Like, everyone's like, uh, did I hear that right? Like Detroit, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, like to your average yeah, American, you might have uh, yeah. said Beirut, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, like well, literally like people were like, uh. <laughs> but also season flyers will know that if 
all of a sudden the plane is descending and the pilot is like, hey, we're landing at an airport way off route. That also might mean, uh, are we going to fucking crash? Is that like what yeah. the fuck is no, happening? I mean, literally, like, I, thought, I thought that they <laughs> fucked up on fuel or something, yeah, you know, yeah. because they're like, uh, this is kind of nuts. They were like, yeah, don't worry. Uh, we'll allow you if you you could have the option to even to plane if you want. Like, we'll, we'll like get back in the air in like, you know, an hour. And in the meantime, and they said, in the meantime, we'll refuel too, right? And I'm like, oh, these fuckers, they just like, you know, <laughs> ran out of gas, right? Like, <laughs> And so that's what I thought. But then they're like, no, like there's like thunderstorms and like, weather i was texting my you know um my friend though in new york and he was like sending me pictures back it was completely sunny but then in some other places i guess there was like some like scattered like thunderstorms they were like yep laguardia we can't like fly into it so we just gotta wait an hour goes by two hours goes by they delay it again then finally we just get like a page like in um (laughs) in the detroit airport we're just kind of waiting outside and i bet actually because i had to kind of like finesse a a delta airline employee clapped in my face when i was like going like inside of the plane because i had like my suit i had two personal items instead of one Mm -hmm. and i was like no but they like let me on i couldn't like check right and then so like Mm -hmm. we were both kind of like you know like fussing with them she was like hey and like (laughs) did like a like a sassy clap in my face like i'm talking (laughs) (laughs) but then she like let me on right so i didn't want to go through that again so i left my personal item on the plane um you know and that was like my suits right from uh the wedding that i was going to um so then i get the page because i'm betting that we're actually going to take off again and i'll just board the plane uh then they're like yeah flight's canceled sorry and they didn't say anything about hotel so i like rushed to the desk and i'm like can you like get my personal items there. They, thank goodness they got it. But then they were like, all right, well, uh, you know, I don't, we, we can't really help you with booking. Like, <laughs> good luck. And I was like, wait, what? Like, they're like, yeah, just go to the Delta help desk. I go there and it's literally like, two kiosks with like at like telephones with like no employee there so like we had to like and then like there was this one employee where i swear to god she came up and it felt like she was like a part of like some like mk ultra like psyop because like she was like purposely like very calmly purposely just kind of like going in circles about what like flight we would get rebooked to she was and then she was like at one point she was like yeah, so we can actually, I think, put you on a flight to Georgia and then have a five-hour layover and then go to New York. So that will be about like a 10-hour trip. Mind you, it's like an hour to get from Detroit to New oh, York. Yeah. It's a really short flight, right? Yeah, it's shorter to and drive like, it at that point. That's yeah. like the only flight you have. She was like, well, I'm checking. Well, we do. We can like do tomorrow. And we're like, okay, cool. Can we get hotel accommodation? She was like, I, I don't uh. <laughs> What I'm I'm gonna sleep on the tarmac? Like what's going on? Like so um while we're waiting, like me and my girlfriend kind of looking at each other, like uh we should like hedge our bets and like get on hold with like Delta's customer service right over text, right? Um the text was so fucking funny because the person was like kind of waiting. We thought we wrote her off, we thought that she wasn't gonna come through. Cause she said every direct flight was booked. She was like, best we could do is Georgia, blah, blah, blah. Right. I was like, this isn't, this is nuts. Like I'm going to try to like book somewhere else. Um, randomly she comes through like an hour later and she's like, okay, I got you on a direct flight tomorrow at six and I got you hotel accommodations. I'm like, great. But I'm like, you know, on hold with Delta this whole time and on like text. 
Um, fast forward four hours when we're in our hotel, like about to be ready for bed. I finally get a text from Delta saying, hi, sorry for the wait. Uh, we're back now. Uh, we're ready to like, you know, yeah. you. so, you know, what, how they set it up was for like only automated, you know, services to, you know, accommodate you. And if I actually went with that and didn't have like a direct like employee actually there mm-hmm. helping us, I would have been waiting at the airport until like 11 PM for like a single text. And by then all the flights were probably booked up anyway. Right. So just like indicative of just like an incredible, uh, incredible happenings right now um, with, uh, you know, a corner cutting at Delta. I don't know Mm -hmm. if like Delta employees, like I heard a rumor that like they aren't actually, is that true that they aren't unionized or like there's some like labor thing with Delta, but um, yeah, I think some employees that like all they allowed, some employees are union and some are not. So yeah, right. I I think baggage and uh, baggage and attendance are union, but in the, yeah, right. It it just seemed like, um, you know, the, their strategy was essentially to like automate as many systems as possible. Right. And not have like, you know, customer service really there. And that was like kind of the purpose and like, you know, I don't know. Um, they don't really have it yet because that didn't really work to just outsource shit to the call center. You know, <laughs> like yeah, uh, one person handling like an entire flight actually was faster than that. So thank goodness for a worker who just like kind of miraculously showed up like a side quest mission in Skyrim and uh, you know, <laughs> got us our hotel accommodations yeah. finally. Was just um, there to like grind points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is everything in America, though. I mean, this is dealing with like your bank, right? This is dealing with, you know, I- any company in America is like this. And it fucking rocks. Like I had to switch. This is a while back. I had to switch my 401k over to my new employer's 401k. Oh, that's a nightmare. Oh, yeah. It's still not done. But anyways, this this is months in the process. But my original 401k place, like they literally don't exist. Like all they are is a phone (laughs) number and they don't answer the phone. And it's awesome. And it's Love incredible. It my, your your it's entire retirement income. account. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not it's not called, you. Yeah, it's called passive. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's whoever is collecting the fees on managing your 401k <laughs> on every transaction is just a, a bank account and a phone number, you know? They yeah. They're not managing anything. It's just on paper. Yeah. It fucking rules. But this is like everything in America is just being automated in such a way that none of it works right yeah right With the idea that well if nothing works who are people going to complain to right you like because even the complaint line doesn't work right and- i know like, the complaint line is so funny because i am i i just like am like allergic to actually filling out service because i feel like that's just a way to like fire people and i don't want to do that so like i wasn't really gonna like you know bitch on like the yeah. you know survey um when they sent it to me afterwards but they sent it to me I didn't even get an opportunity to because they sent me a link to the survey. And then 10 minutes later, they were like, all right, your case is closed. Survey's invalid. Bye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Hell yeah. That rocks. I didn't even get a chance. It was so funny. <laughs> well, in Seattle, we've been suffering from our own uh, sort of techno, uh, you know, disaster. And, you know, who better to capture the vibe of it than one of our favorite Seattle Times columnists. The legend. John Talton. Oh, I love this guy. I love this guy. Uh, He wrote a article that I'm going to read for you guys today. It's called Goodbye to Starbucks at Westlake Park and so much more. And it has a picture of Somebody on fucking like stilts trying to lasso a child or something. I don't, I don't really know what the fuck's happening in that picture. Or why we? Why you would choose? That. The caption says it's a ha- it's a Halloween event that mm. you know. Mm. I like, like it. So it's like like it gives the impression that like 
And it's from 2021, which also was like last Halloween, right? Yeah. So like, that's going to be funny for like where this article goes. Because if you just breeze by that and didn't read the caption, you'd be like, ah, Westlake Park uh, before Seattle was dying. Yeah. Like kids just walking in the middle of the street, enjoying street performers uh, in front of the Starbucks. Yeah. uh, You know, when everybody was so high in Seattle that we were on stilts. Um, All right. This is a love story. It's a theme for today. In In 2007, I lost my column at the newspaper in Phoenix. I like that John Talton, he's like, we're, you know, he's a big enough part of our lives that we just know this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I mean, that's what being a columnist yeah. is. You're, it's, it's uh, the original podcast, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Before, like, talk radio, it's, it's somewhat, you know, the thing, the idiot who has to come up with a column every week and just tells inane stories about their personal life like we just did for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the sad part is because of the show, I actually do know what he's talking about, yeah. which really bums me out. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, we got a parasocial relationship and that's okay. We're valid for it. Yeah. And, and like, but also like the in the columnist brain, like the calendar it is uh, it is all situated around the events of your own life, you know? Yeah. Like that's like... Yeah. <laughs> all right. My transgression was culling the real estate crash, where that was the primary industry. With no, uh, with no job available there, my wife, Susan, and I made a list of desirable cities. Beyond a newspaper job, they needed to offer a vibrant downtown. Yes. Ab- abundant cultural assets. Yes. Mm. architectural delights (laughs) I love the delight (laughs) walkable neighborhoods a diverse Uh, economy yeah right good local transit and Amtrak service an economy diversified I mean in what he found was uh, between Amazon and Boeing yeah yeah. Microsoft yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I love I mean obviously he's going to tell us how he moved to Seattle like what uh good public transit like uh amtrak service well yeah you can get you can get an amtrak train in each direction twice a day incredible (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean isn't there amtrak service technically everywhere like can't i like go to yeah if you're in a major city yeah i mean it skips a a lot of places but i mean it's less than you might think yeah you can take it up and down the west coast easy enough and a few other stretches but we have very poorly developed train infrastructure obviously yeah, yeah well it's not like the best ride or anything but like i said if you're like a major american city you probably have yeah like if i'm in like Ma- madison wisconsin or like cleveland i bet i can catch a train right yeah yeah i mean cleveland for sure madison maybe um so i also like the, t- the 2007 he was like look First off, I can get a newspaper job. Journalism is never doing better. I can get a newspaper job anywhere. So let's write down the list of things that can attract me. To yeah, city, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, not like desperately looking yeah. for a job and he happened to get one here. Yeah, yeah. the real story here is, yes, the Times is Love the to have the leverage, offer. baby. Yeah. yeah, me just fired from my yeah. job. Yeah, the Phoenix Sun Times. I, I mean, I I I resonate because that's what I would do too. I would have some like w- gymnastic, mental gymnastic cope, being like, uh, "I've decided to take my talents actually to this <laughs> the only city. place." Yeah. 
have said yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Hey, that's that's the beauty of our neoliberal economy, right? You 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 get to make you have the choice. You don't have mm-hmm. to live in the shithole you grew up in. You can move to some other shithole. <laughs> you know, based on some uh the only sort of like bullshit aesthetic propaganda that um you're able to sort of attach value to because you you cannot actually have anything of real value <laughs> it's not available <laughs> well seattle was at the top of the list sure made more so as job offers elsewhere evaporated in the newspaper to be clear to be clear it was at the top of the list <laughs> uh, incredible coincidence that i got a job here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> not wow. just the only ones that said yes <laughs> hell yeah dude we arrived here 15 years ago next month with me writing in laughable irony about real estate before settling into this column. When I called the collapse of Washington Mutual, the Seattle Times rewarded rather than punished me. A good sign. Does that mean so that I, I actually that'd be interesting to go back and read his coverage of collapsing Washington Mutual? Yeah, because it didn't collapse. What happened to Washington Mutual <laughs> was the was wall street like you know uh uh jamie diamond assassinated it with the help of the federal <laughs> government um mm-hmm. uh the yeah. treasury and just stole its assets and yeah. everything just absolutely assassinated a very healthy bank that was one of the most important banks in the country outside of new york um like and their power actually in trouble no yeah they were in the black like they were one of the few banks in the black which is one of the only ones which is why it's crazy because like around like there was this myth that like washington mutual was like just so aggressive with mortgage mortgage backed securities but like i remember everyone's like yeah like I, i this is like a really deep memory and i don't even know how it came up but um when i was in high school i got to take a class at seattle university uh, and it was like a, it was like some like business class. And um, this professor like told this like story. They're like, yeah, you know, like I was teaching at the Seattle University MBA program. And, uh, you know, so, uh, someone who was working on Washington Mutual, who was my student, walked in with an Amex black card. And I never saw them again because he was just making so much money hand over fist. <laughs> and, you know, um, and after the financial crash, you know, hey, you know, you're in the fast lane and, uh, you know, you go high and you fall hard fast. Uh, you know, some like <laughs> lesson like that. <laughs> a millionaire teller at Washington Mutual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I remember because I, I, I banked at Washington Mutual at the time and uh, A, they were not handing out credit easily. I'll tell you that. But, <laughs> but B, I mean, part of the reason why the federal government gave them to Chase was that Chase was definitely in the red and sitting on top of a bunch of failed mortgages, right? And failed mortgage yeah, securities. It would balance you, out you there. Needed some black <laughs> to put in there. Yeah, yeah and Washington Mutual <laughs> wasn't. And that's why they handed it over, so like give Chase buoyancy. And I think that there was even a lawsuit that was attempted to be filed against the federal government for doing this. But I mean, it's one of those things that literally at the time, from the New York Times down, every columnist is John Talton. No, uh, actual uh, people who are doing the business beat were (laughs) writing about it. Why the fuck is the federal government giving Washington Mutual to Chase? Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like John Talton is one of the people who was towing the Obama administration and Chase line. Yeah. When he says he called its its destruction and he was rewarded by the Seattle Times with this column. Right. That's what he, he found a way to write about this locally 
and push the lie that they they had to go, you know? Well, he he was rewarded with the J.P. Morgan Chase uh, chair of yeah. column writing. Exactly, you know? yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as those cool late summer evenings turned to fall, we often found ourselves at Westlake Park sitting on the benches. Buses ran on 4th Avenue as the transit tunnel was being refitted for light rail. We might wait for one to get home in Belltown after a movie or shopping. It was an inviting public space with the fountain running. We never felt unsafe. No one camped on the sidewalks or panhandled at the park. It's weird that those two sentences are back to back. What's the relationship between that? (laughs) Let's see. I couldn't see any poor people anywhere, and I felt safe. This is going to come up in the next few paragraphs. Yeah. Just sitting there. By the way, it's worth noting that uh, in 2007, there were absolutely homeless people in Seattle and in Westlake Park. Uh, I have a different memory of, of that course. park than of John course. does. But yes, it was an inviting public space. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, just sitting there with the lights of the skyscrapers seeming like stars overhead and stores all around was a wonderful tonic from Phoenix. Its downtown was nearly dead, and the nearest major retail to our center city historic district was a five-mile drive. In Seattle, we never felt as if we had to spend every dime to keep the minimal nearby restaurants and stores alive. All of which makes me sad to know that Starbucks closed its Westlake Park location on Wednesday and moved the fixtures out. (laughs) all, All this building up to... One of 20 million Starbucks stores is closing. Mm. One where you can literally walk to another Starbucks in the next two blocks, probably yeah. in any direction. There's, That's all this buildup. And he all, all this this reverie is about like, is this uh, this, you know, this time in Seattle that w- at peak, like um, peak gentrification in Seattle, like where like everyone, you know, it was at the top of the list of, you know, Richard Florida style uh, vibrant cities, you know, uh, the vibrant downtown that he's talking about. It, there were rest. Basically, there were restaurants <laughs> that there were there were mid range restaurants with good chefs at like reasonable prices where I could feel fancy. And there were lots of them that that's this great thing that Seattle was this incredible place that's dying now. It just comes down to that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, by the way, yeah, I, I just looked it up because I knew this was the case. Uh, 2007, two, or 2008, lessons to be learned from how WAMU lost its way. When it comes to when it comes time to write the history of Washington Mutual, it may rival Tom Wolfe's Bonfire of the Vanities for the blindness, arrogance, and greed of the masters of the universe running the place. <laughs> I, like... A relatively small bank, Washington Mutual, is like this is this is what Stone was talking about in Wall Street, right? The, yeah, the Gordon Geckos at Washington yep. Mutual. That, that's John Talton. So sure <laughs> enough, yeah. incredible. That is that's what he's talking about. He he got on and did what he does. His job in the Seattle Times as a weekly columnist is to find a way to in this approachably bland way right about the whatever the the uh business like right wing line needs to be whatever the chamber line that is that the seattle time exists to like shove out to its readers he does that as the weekly like um 
just talking about stories from my own life uh, columns. And and that's looks like what he's kind of hinting at is that's how he got the column, the columnist job is from doing that on the real estate beat and talking about Washington Mutual and and towing this line uh, about how it really actually was a big major factor in the housing crash. Not that it was just like assassinated and stolen. Yeah. Well, I will tell you uh, to counter his uh, memories of Westlake in 2007. I can tell you in 2008, I went to a anti-war demonstration in Westlake marking the fifth year of the invasion of Iraq, fifth anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. And um, it was the tail end of the anti-war movement, which would absolutely be destroyed by Obama getting elected. Um <laughs> It, you know, something struck me about it. One that uh, the groups that were organizing the event, which I had worked with or whatever uh, in Seattle, uh, were awful at organizing things, uh, which longer story we can tell another day. <laughs> but uh, the other thing was, it was the first time I ever saw something that I became have now become very familiar with in stand up, which is the bicycle riot cops, mm-hmm. uh, which I had never seen before. It's pioneered here. Yeah, you get them all here. And I'd never seen that before. And I remember seeing them everywhere and being like, well, that looks not great. <laughs> and then I remember it was the first time, too, that at just a basic anti-war demonstration, I saw they had some of the cops out with the uh, the fucking clubs, the riot clubs, the big fucking mm-hmm. long sticks for beating people with. They were just hanging out like they're in one of the like, you know, the little cutouts that you get in like Westlake where there's like a door back in there. So there's a bunch of them just hanging out back in there. And I remember walking by and seeing that and being like, huh interesting <laughs> for yeah. like you know uh, that's my you, memory of there you were with with <laughs> uh, some friends of yours gathering in the public square of Westlake you know uh, back in Seattle's heyday uh, yeah. but I guess it wasn't a safe and inviting place for you then you know yeah just people being against uh, uh, US the US war machine yeah as I say I quickly followed by Occupy Seattle which was an even less pleasant experience I must say uh, as far as feeling the friendliness of uh, the Seattle city government, at least. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, so Starbucks is closing one of its one zillion stores. Oh, no. Uh, there's, I think it was confirmed online there are two Starbucks within three blocks of that one, but whatever. Whether because of crime, and this is, you know, everybody's shaking their heads, no. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly believable in the reason given by the company for closing six area stores. Uh, again, two within three blocks of it yeah. that weren't closed. Mm. So interesting. Mm. Very centrally located crime. <laughs> yeah. From that one. Yeah. Well, it's well only, they looked it's at only Third Ave. They looked yeah. at the Seattle Police Department's, uh, you know, like hot hot spot heat map of crime and like and their predictive algorithms and they're like, crime's going to happen here at this Starbucks. <laughs> Just this one. Though. Yeah. Or. <laughs> As punishment for unionization attempts, right now, shaking our heads, yes, shaking our heads, yes. <laughs> it's a gut punch. Now they were trying to uh, organize that store, which is why it got closed. I mean, just full yeah. stop. It got closed because they were trying to organize. Yeah, it. and then they closed a few extra that yep. weren't yet, as far as we know, being organized, be to, to cover it. Yeah, and like there was, said, they, so they have five million. They don't need every one of these fucking stores. They closed two that already were union. Yeah, one that was organizing, and then a couple extras that maybe who knows? Know, that, we don't know. Maybe there had been yeah. intimations. Maybe somebody had said suspicion. something. Maybe not. Maybe again, like it's uh, it's uh, a kind of limited hangout. You know? Yeah, you sacrifice a few to mm-hmm. to throw the scent off. And 
he, this is so clear. And this is such a real issue. And it's such a, an obvious, massive, like, uh, violation of good faith uh, by Starbucks to say nothing of, you know, th- the theoretical labor laws that exist in America that John Talton feels the need to mention it because yeah, yeah. it's so obvious like that he if he if that wasn't in there that would be every response from that would he would i mean this kind His of did, common section would blow up yeah like for like nationwide you know yeah. like it would like this asshole wrote this entire article and not without mentioning that these stores were unionized and that people are which he doesn't he just says because of union activity uh, as if you know just as a way to address it in the smallest way possible fucking coward yeah again his job is to launder the chamber you know capital line in his particular columnist way in a different way than say the ed board does you know yeah i recall all those nights we enjoyed sitting at westlake park with the starbucks there open until 11 p.m i bought my vente non-fat no whip mocha and got change for the bus in these pre-orca card days love to order as an adult a drink you have to specify up front that you don't want the whipped cream. Um, (laughs) You know, because you're, you're getting a uh, caffeinated hot cocoa. (laughs) Customers came and went unmolested. I didn't molest any of the customers. (laughs) That's, that's the John Dalton. I I swear. (laughs) I, John Dalton did not molest any of these customers at this specific Starbucks. (laughs) Yes. I know other Starbucks stores are downtown and Seattle coffee stops despise Starbucks and prefer smaller outlets. Citation needed. Maybe one (laughs) will move into the Westlake site. But until then, the empty space will stand as mute testimony to all that we've lost. To be fair, I enjoyed a hot dog at the park recently under watch of a security guard. But the old nighttime safety isn't there. I like the idea of John just sitting on a bench with like, a security team around him just you know like blocking him in right as he just eats his little hot dog you know? his little uh <laughs> tube tube meat <laughs> those early days contained big city excitement to be sure here we go nightclub shootings were common <laughs> whoa what? Oh. what the fuck uh i watched one happen myself from the apartment before hitting the deck okay so yeah, back in the day, the heyday that I'm remembering that we've lost because Seattle has died. I literally witnessed shootings, yeah, <laughs> which were common. So there was violent crime literally in my neighborhood, which I saw. To be sure, he literally to be sure's this. Yeah, yeah. But earlier in the this article, the f- whole basis of this is like. I don't feel safe now because I saw poor people. Yeah, yeah. Which we're, we we're know this. What, the, what the crime is in Tolkien's yeah. mind. The yeah. crime we're talking about is poverty and safety in the parlance of the fucking Chamber of Commerce press in this town is a just a euphemism for the same. Yeah. It's how you are able to talk about I despise seeing poor people. And I want to have them all ground into mulch for crops and out of my fucking sight. I can't say it that way. So I have to talk about how I feel threatened. I have to use the fucking cop defense when I kill them. Yeah. You know, 
Well, Greg, have you considered that one establishment was appropriately named Venom? But this was a very safe city, especially given its density. You just okay, again, like everything is relative here. It's very murky. You just said shootings were common and you witnessed them. But hey, it was I'm not a pussy. Like, yeah, sure. That was that was big city excitement. That was yeah, it was the Wild West. Like there was sure there's always been crime. This is urban America we're talking about. Yeah, there's murders. <laughs> uh Seattle was the embodiment of urban scholar Jane Jacobs' essentials for strangers to feel safe in a city. Quote, eyes on the street, whether from pedestrians, Ralph's Deli, Bed Bath & Beyond, or uh. the Westlake Park <laughs> Starbucks. I love that city. The funny part is, is that, so, you know, for those not familiar, Jane Jacobs is like a urban historian, theorist, or whatever, who wrote a, a very important book about, uh, you know, urban density and crime and stuff like that. And her basic thing was that like when you depopulate urban areas, that's what makes them feel unsafe because there's just nobody out. It's a very simple thesis, right? Like if there's people out, you feel safe. If there's not people out, you don't. The funny part is what's sort of depopulated downtown Seattle in some ways, which is what Charles talks about quite a bit, Mm -hmm. is neoliberalism. Yeah, is the kind of (laughs) development we've had in this city where you build these high-rise luxury towers that are, that force People living out, they build the Amazon campus, force mm-hmm. people who actually lived in these neighborhoods and the businesses that they frequented out of actually living in the city so that downtown becomes a fucking wasteland, uh, oh, empty of nowhere nobody lives. And if you, so yeah, no, you can't do, I, he doesn't mention, I don't think in this whole article where he lives anymore. I, I can tell, I'm going to bet you it's not downtown or in Belltown. I'm guessing he hasn't lived there for a long time. He probably lives out in the fucking suburbs. And he's just annoyed that, you know, he was priced out probably and just didn't like the vibe anymore and left. And he's annoyed that when he comes in or just sees on TV what, you know, on whatever cable or uh, local news he's watching, what Westlake looks like. Uh, and maybe maybe he he probably literally had to go down there and write a hot dog and eat a hot dog out of like his sense of journalistic ethics to write this column. You know, <laughs> that was his the, research. It was the first time he's been th- there in like years, probably. He filed an expense report <laughs> yeah. doing research for the hot dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like that, that's what he's talking about. It's like, it's, it happened to you, man. Like you don't live there anymore. Nobody does. Yeah. Like, and that, but this from the real estate reporter, like there's no insight about why that's happening. Mm-hmm. Like what what the development of Seattle has done to push people out to the fucking exers, people who were once living in the core of the city, to have to fucking flee to fucking like yeah. uh, you know, fucking Marysville or some shit. Well, and they're trying to replay some sort of crime drama from like the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. about suburbanization. But the reality is like when people fled Minneapolis, as we talked about at one point in a previous episode, or fled Detroit or whatever, right, and went to the suburbs, the property values inside the city collapsed, right? Yeah. And what we're seeing in Seattle is something very different, which is people are being thrown out of the city, like centrifugally out of the city. But the property values are skyrocketing in the downtown area, which is, by the way, part of why all these stores close, you know, and all these restaurants yeah. can't exist anymore. And it's just so funny that these reporters are so incapable of criticizing capitalism, so incapable of criticizing how our economy works, that they have to just try and shove this like 1960s 
Nixon-esque, you know, framework on top of this of urban crime and and all this kind of stuff. When it's like plainly on its face, it's like that is uh, that's fantasy. That's clearly fantasy. And as John knows, because I hate to tell you guys, I actually know he lived in Pioneer Square. That's where he saw the shooting. Uh, you know, <laughs> God, I know too much about this man. Yeah, you know he he was priced out. I mean, almost certainly. Yeah, you know? and it's like you know this, John. You know, but you're such a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, this is his job to be stupid, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, the whole narrative doesn't make sense. Like, he, the whole Seattle is dying thing, like, is happening. Then there is purely aesthetic, you know? Like, yeah. it was more confusing when, uh, it, you know, white flight and the destruction of the American inner city in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and there was like more um to talk about there because like you know you were seeing val- property values collapse and uh services dry up city uh budgets sort of dry up due to that reason of not having the revenue this like the like it's almost they're angry that property values are going up but it can't also be like aesthetically pleasing to them like mm-hmm. all this all this money is being generated all the property values are shooting through the roof rich people are getting richer if you happen to own any property down there lucky you you're a billionaire but it's being uh it's being ruined by the poor people it could be so good it could be this paradise of of rich people of uh you know my incredible property value it could be like there could be restaurants here and i could be having a good time and but it's being ruined by the poor people, but you've got it exactly backwards. The, yeah. They're being generated by the same thing, the same. Yeah. It's so simple. It's so uncomplicated. The property values going up are creating the poor people it, yes. and pushing out the, the cute little restaurants and coffee shops you loved. It's, it's very easy to understand. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think even Charles was saying that like, you know, if you want to like a peek into the future, like you could just look at San Francisco, like yeah. it's like a ghost town there, for right? no one. like in yeah. terms of, yeah. Right. I mean like uh, the where ones where like there's like cute and trendy stores and yeah, sure. There's like stores there. I don't want to like, you know, be, you know, hyperbolic. There's not like a huge hyperbole, but like, you know, um, there'll be like cute restaurants that will vacate and we'll just sit empty and we'll sit empty for years. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's not like that's when you try to like analyze stuff just through a market lens, that analysis falls apart instantly because it's like that shouldn't happen under your, you know, mm-hmm. under your, you know, mode of analysis. Yet it does constantly and continues to do. Right. So there's something else that's really driving it here. Yeah. You know, exactly. I think about the great, you know, Nicholas Maduro. You are not a journalist, Jorge. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So many times I retweeted something about Seattle with the comment, quote, I love this city. Twitter was in its infancy and the iPhone had just come out. There's literally no reason to write that. Uh, other than the fact that John like gets paid by the word, but it's those little yeah, details that really helps like, put you in the story. He's all he's just so terminally columnist brain yeah. that like, again, relating it to his personal life is not enough. He has to relate it to his online life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> dark. Save, save that shit for podcasting. Exactly. Yeah, could you imagine if people just talked about bull- online bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the Seattle headquartered company pioneered the idea of the third place. I noticed it when I went to my first Starbucks in Denver. Then, as it followed me to Cincinnati, Charlotte, and was well established when I arrived in Phoenix at the turn of the century. God, I hate the way this guy writes. God, he, such a Imagine, dick. like, being so 
like suburban mindset that like you go to Phoenix and you're like, damn, like look at look at how they do things here. Some I guess Starbucks invented hanging out in coffee shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? First time ever. The third place was one in addition to home and the office. I spent much time there enjoying a drink, but also making notes for one of my columns or my mystery novels. Now that right there is a thread we need to pull. Oh, holy shit. The the chain made cameos in several of the latter, including Deadline Man. My only thriller. Oh my God, it's a fucking novel sentence. Yeah, we are reading this book. Gumshoe solves crimes. Ah! All right. Uh, (laughs) Listeners, you've just purchased this book. I want you to know that. We are buying three copies of of Deadline Man. He put in parentheses that makes me think that maybe this never got published. All right. In 2018, the third place came into question when two black men in Philadelphia. Just doing fucking Starbucks PR now about their their whole third place branding (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so it came into question with two black men in philadelphia were waiting for a friend and a barista called police after one man tried to use the restroom they were both arrested i remember this this resulted in a backlash that caused the company to close more than eight thousand u.s stores to conduct anti-bias training it instituted a policy of open restrooms for all is he writing that sentence deliberately obscure so that his suburban like angry uh like anti-woke conservative readership gets confused because they're stupid and thinks they actually closed eight thousand stores permanently (laughs) because of this one racist incident yeah i think so yeah i I, like it seems intentionally unclear because he's talking about up i'm sure up earlier in the article he says starbucks closed six stores yeah yeah. they they vacated them and here he says the same thing meaning they were closed for four hours for a training set a pr stunt training session yeah this year howard schultz back for another stint as ceo and locally despised for selling the supersonics said starbucks was considering ending the open restroom policy quote we have to harden oh, her. Dude, st- my life in New York would be fucking over, dude. Like, that's like the only place you can really get like a restroom over a- there. American cities. I mean, this is the one of those third things- can <laughs> third toilet. <laughs> this is one of those things that I think uh, goes a little appreciated. Although I've, I've noticed more and more people commenting on it. One of the things that makes American cities so unlivable is that there are no bathrooms everywhere, which there used to be like every yeah, city used to have public bathrooms everywhere. This is a new thing in the last 20 years to get rid of all. Oh, I had to finesse a Best Buy employee to like, you know, yeah. let me in, uh, you know, in Manhattan to like, just go pee. Again, another thing that is purely driven by this same neoliberal cycle. It's it's so simple. Like why? And it's even more simple. It's just, well, if we have these poor people will use them, mm-hmm. which and because we're insane, we people like John Talton and the Seattle Times believe like anything that makes it slightly is even possible to like survive as a poor person is what generates poverty. Yeah. yeah. You know, somehow. Yeah. And so this is we're willing to punish ourselves mm-hmm. by not being able to take a shit ever. Well, just so that. Poor people can't take a shit. Well, that's why I because I also am old enough to remember because this is all like newer things happening. Going to Seattle parks at like 2 a.m. drinking beers and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and having the time of my life over at like Gasworks or out at uh, uh, 
the beach park out there, you know, Golden Gardens, Golden Gardens, burning the fire barrels out mm-hmm. on the beach, yeah, man. Having Classic. That was you know, the move in high school, by the way. Yeah, we have bonfires and like you know, drink forties there. It was awesome. <laughs> there was like an adult side to it, and then like the kids side, right? So every once in a while, the, some kid might wander over to ask for cigarettes, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I remember that, and this is like you know. It used to go without saying that, of course, you can go to the park at 2 a.m. It's a public park. Why would they close it? Like, what are you going to do? And again, fear of the home of like, oh, having anything available that homeless people could use generates homelessness. And so, again, we take the gun, put it directly against our dicks and fire. Right. And now every park is like this disastrous police state that's only open five hours a day. Right. And there's no public fucking bathrooms anywhere, all of which is just going to get worse and worse. Right. You know, it's about fully privatizing the public sphere, right? Yeah. And convincing people to ask and, for it. And the the bathrooms in the parks are basically just closed now. That, yeah, they're closed. That used Almost to be one of the places now, yeah. you would have a public shit yeah. was in a park. Now, they used to be, you know, in more densely urban places, there used to also be just public restrooms, but also at, tra- at any kind of transit place in urban mm-hmm. areas like Subway, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, the, uh, I think there used, there were some in the, 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 the bus tunnel stations, mm-hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken. And in addition to that, every public place had a restroom you could use. If there was a store you could go into, yeah, you know, any convenience store. And and now they have that. If they have if they have it, it has a code on it that you you know like, that you can't use. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, one of the side effects of this too is a few years back there was the uh, from the bus drivers union. There was a complaint with Seattle Transit that because there were no bathrooms that anybody could use, Mm -hmm. there were bus drivers who were driving with diapers on and things like that. Right. Because like they literally there was no bathrooms on the route. You know, I mean, this is like I mean, this is how capitalism turns every area into a fucking hellscape, you know. Uh, Yeah. Now, so Schultz tells The New York Times, quote, we have to harden our stores and provide safety for our people. I don't know if we can keep our bathrooms open. We need a single entrance and exit. <laughs> Imagine talking about your coffee shop as like a hard target. Like, yeah. What well, exactly models how the police talk we about need the like, egress yeah. and ingress of yeah, the fucking yeah. Starbucks coffee shop. Incredible. Well, it, it takes what was the suburban mindset, right? But it's actually just a property owner mindset of like, all of our property is permanently under siege by these like hordes, you know, uh, little castles against the world. Right. So how can we make them as inhumane and, you know, awful as possible for those that we don't like? Well, at the same time, uh, have the ability to extract money from those we want to take the money from. You yeah. Know? Incredible. Yeah, I, that is that is a real that is like a real current. Uh, yeah. Of anyone who owns property and. The way you know that is bullshit is like, if that was true, you would be living in a castle to protect your own life. You're not, though, because you actually have the vast power of the state on your side against anyone who would dare, like, trespass against your ability to your land, your property or your ability to exploit it uh, Mm -hmm. for rents. In the years after 2007, Seattle underwent profound changes, including Amazon's headquarters in South Lake Union and downtown. When I got here, that's, you know, and and a few I enjoyed a few years and then it started to change for the worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every person has ever moved to a city. Mm-hmm. It added a staggering 100,000 people from 2008 to 2018. 
politics changed too from a pragmatic liberalism <laughs> to a city council majority of far left activists. Hell uh, yeah. They defunded the police even as crime rose and shoplifting staggered uh, to the remaining retailers. Third Avenue's rich assortment of shops are now closed uh, and boarded up. Like, I mean, our listeners don't need to hear this, but the police were never defunded in this fucking city. Like, this fucking country. Never happened. Never happened here. Not a fucking dollar. They're yeah. literally out there fucking hiring more cops with $20,000 hiring bonuses right now. Yeah, they're out Never happened. Massive bonuses. Uh, but, you know, in that, in this idea, of, again, I just love the... City council is a majority of far left activists. What they mean is one socialist was elected to the city council. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I think a one person has been the majority of the city council now for what four years, six years now. Like, that's how it gets referred to. But just incredible. That's, shit. I, I mean, you know, that's Shama's power, uh, making the most out of uh, what little you can grab a hold of. Yeah. You know? And again, it is worth mentioning again, uh, crime rates are actually lower now than they were in 2007, John Talton's heyday. Uh, when he which, was witnessing murders, yeah. Yeah, 2000, and that includes things like shoplifting and stuff like that. Crime rates are historically low. They were historically low in 2007. Uh, they are much lower than they were, say, in the 90s. Uh, this is all just made up. But this, the media just repeating this over and over again is how mythologies get created, right? How reality gets warped to fit a neoliberal narrative that is so obviously false on its face, which is if everything downtown's getting robbed all the time, 24 seven, then why is the property downtown the like third most valuable real estate on the fucking planet? Yeah. You know, how does that make any sense? Well, it's, right? it's a, uh, it's a bet on the future. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when it's, finally we get this when, cranks out of the council, and when finally we get rid of Shama and the rest of the council. And we, actually bulldoze all the pores into the sea yeah you know that's what you're betting on when you invest in real estate in seattle so yeah. really this is about just following through on the plan that's why you need john talton to keep egging people on to realize those gains you yeah know, to make real that projected uh windfall the pandemic struck uh with especially catastrophic effects on office work downtown i wonder if that had an effect on the retail downtown too especially catastrophic effects i mean on office work downtown is an interesting way to phrase something that actually did kill a million people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah, like, uh, no connect connection in this asshole's mind that like, oh, everyone who worked in the downtown business core started working from home. God, it's so fucked up that crime like drove out all <laughs> the fucking lunch spots. Yeah, it's so, it's so fucked up that crime forced uh, our good project managers to move from Seattle to Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, incredible. stuff. I mean, again, totally missing the point too, that like uh, a bigger culprit, I mean, crime was not a culprit at all in retail closing downtown. It literally was a zero factor in any of those decisions. Uh, another culprit that yeah, you might point to is other than the pandemic is, I don't know, fucking Amazon. Like yeah. the local company that literally is running every brick and mortar out of business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I don't I don't go to stores. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, <laughs> we have. We, we have <laughs> yeah, you I'm sale not, to them, nobody Greg. is, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's because none of them are water adjacent. <laughs> we have yet to find out what the new normal will be. Once again, I feel the need to spend every dime to help the remaining retailers and restaurants. I bet you he does. I bet you he orders this shit on Amazon. 
I had to guess, right? Which is why, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah, he's full of shit. Paradoxically, downtown Phoenix has rebounded with... I've been in Phoenix. We don't want that rebound. If downtown Phoenix is what you want. By the way, downtown Phoenix also has lots of homeless people, just like every state in America. It's undergoing the same process. It's just in a different stage of it. But yeah. You know know where it doesn't? You know why he can say this? Because the downtown area he's now supporting going out you know for for dinner uh is exactly what he wants it's mm. uh developed high property values and not a person in sight because it's where he absolutely lives and that's bellevue yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> dude god i think i've said this story on this sh- uh, show before but it just it just blew me away when i first moved here but uh me and my ex at the time used to go to there was like this fancy restaurant in Bellevue that had like a lunch happy hour special where you could get uh satay skewers. They had this giant like satay bar, mm-hmm. right? And it was in one of those weird like block towers that's like partially offices and maybe apartments and like a little shopping center with nobody in it. Uh, it's called mixed use development, Brian. Sure. Disgusting. And we'd sit in this little restaurant and they'd always like have like only three tables open because nobody was ever there. And you'd sit by the window and I'd always look out at Bellevue and there'd be like no cars moving, like nobody on the sidewalks. And all I can ever think is like, I've never been in a city quite like this. And it looks like a neutron bomb hit it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the only ones who survived <laughs> me, my ex and the satay bar guys, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like the only people left. Oh, uh, all right. So, yeah, paradoxically, downtown Phoenix has rebounded with an Arizona State University campus. Oh, did they just get that, John? Is that new? Uh, Convention Center, again, built in the 60s. Biomedical campus. We got one downtown as well. New apartment towers and light rail. Okay. Yeah, well, that he's talking about five over ones, right? Which is, it's like Seattle is fucking like packed with five over ones. But the reason is, is because like some real estate genius and fucking LA figured out, Oh, this is the cheapest way to build a building Mm -hmm. and get around all regulations. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's why they're everywhere. San Antonio has them everywhere too. Like again, again, I fucking hate this guy. Like that, that boom where you like get like, you know, high priced, urban renewal where you where businesses come in and build new towers and you get all kinds of condos that already happened here yeah. that was what you were talking about yeah that's yeah. the heyday that you loved and this <laughs> is the wages of that what do you think's gonna happen in phoenix you fucking moron yeah like this is what like he's like no that i want that to go on forever like endlessly i want the buildings that shot up in the mid 2000s and early 2010s in Seattle yeah. with the Amazon campus, it's already 2022. We should be knocking those down, though no <laughs> one's ever lived in half the units and building newer, bigger, more expensive luxury housing to be used as investment vehicle for sovereign wealth funds around the globe. Yeah. Like just keep the cycle going and everything will be great. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, fucking moron. Yeah, it's, it's astonishing. And yeah, like, yeah, he's literally describing Seattle 1995 to 2012. Yeah, like, like it, ha- <laughs> that, it, it already happened. That We did that here, you dumbass. What more do you want? <laughs> Still, it will never be Seattle, even though it's the nation's fifth most populous city. I mean, Phoenix's one reprieve is that it's enough of a dump that the, the, the 
investment money might not flow to it in the same way it did to Seattle. And that's a big might because obviously there's nothing like real to invest in anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> who fucking knows? You don't need a story at this point. Yeah. Like the livability, the sort of like X factor of Seattle is one and one reason mm-hmm. among you mostly industrial, like, you know, tech and industrial reasons that like Seattle got that big infusion of real estate cash in that period. Uh, but like, yeah, now you every every shithole in America is getting that real estate money pouring in, driving up prices because rich people are too rich. They're yeah. just too fucking rich. They have nothing else to do with the money. OK, let me finish this out real quick. Love stories often end with sadness, and this is no exception. I love the city that the activists hate that older Seattleist lament. I love those nights sitting in Westlake Park with the Starbucks open and welcoming. So beautiful. Yeah. I mean, again, I, like I've never met anybody in Seattle. I mean, you know, activists obviously is, ju- is just a catch all for people I don't like. But uh, I never met anybody in Seattle that was like, you know, Seattle in 2005, fucking bullshit. Seattle 2022, awesome. Like, uh, People's complaints about Seattle and like, say, 2005, which are the police are brutal and completely out of control. Uh, the city's like given over to fucking real estate. Like I said, uh, guess what? The, everybody's complaint is now the exact same fucking thing. Yep. Nothing changed. It's just yeah. gotten worse. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the whole situation just gotten worse. But yeah, those. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. That and the older Seattleites, I mean. A lot of the older Seattleites that lament this shit are homeowners that have gotten rich off of this and are just fucking whining. So, you know, are just mad their investment will go up even further. Uh, all right. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks for the piece. Always good to check in with my man. Yeah, super cool. Always good to be reminded that I know way too many details about this man's life. Uh, awesome stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Love God. it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, great to be uh, the memes. a part of the discourse. I'm glad you could provide that, Mr. Talton. We love you. <laughs> you guys it's something unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note of love and maybe love unrequited, uh, I'm going to say goodnight to my two adult male friends, Munya and Greg. <laughs> and to our thousands of adult male friends currently alone, nobody knows their name. <laughs> nobody knows their name. Uh, you're, you're our friend. We, us as a podcast, we can be your adult male friends. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, if someone out there is looking for the real dudes rock energy of a single uh, late thirties adult male to. <laughs> to uh, be friends with uh you know i'm 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 available for that Hit greg's dm <laughs> folks he, yeah he responds he actually instead of that just fire a flare up into the air he responds to that he'll, yeah he'll sail his boat right si- over send a foghorn and uh he'll <laughs> echolocate <laughs> <your little laughs> uh, good night everybody